Web. Welcome to a dog's life. <laughs> cinema journalist called Toby Rose about the best scary films to watch on Halloween with you and your dog. <laughs> Welcome back to A Dog's Life, Toby Rose, cinema journalist. Good afternoon. Well, the last time you were on we were busy talking about the Fidos and Palm Dog both of which are your doggy cinema babies. I think I'd consider them my offspring, and I've, of which I'm very proud. And interesting you mentioned the Fidos, because the Fidos has a relevance to our conversation today, because one of the films we're going to discuss featured as a Fido nomination back in 2012, which gives you a hint as to which film it concerns. And now I'm really thinking, mm, and I'm not sure I'd know. But of course, we're talking about Halloween and the fact, you know, that way back the Celts and the pagans believed that Halloween was the night when the dead came back to Earth in a festival called Samhain. What do you think about all of that, Toby? My honest uh, response would be that I'd much rather see a lovely little dog rushing around a Guy Fawkes but I fully understand that trick-or-treats and fake blood do um, involve a greater number of people on a visceral level and they want it. And I'm sure that means that they would then um, go out and have lots of fun walking their dogs. So in that sense, it's a good thing, Halloween. But I have nostalgia for Guy Fawkes night. I know, it's just the fireworks that puts a bit of a downer on it all for us dog owners, you know. They don't go very well together, dogs and fireworks. But I know what you mean about Halloween. It was always very American and then bit by bit it's kind of invaded the UK. But I love the pumpkins. Very tasty and very colourful. And good And for if you. you like orange... They've well, they, got it all. They have got it all, you see. We love a splash of orange. In terms of movies, so I, I recommend, like on Halloween and on bonfire night, dog owners stay at home with their doggies and they settle down, have a chicken roasting in the oven to distract the dog with lovely smells and you sit down and watch your favourite movie. So on Halloween, what are your top tips, Toby, for doggy owners? Well, I think there's a number of... Uh opportunities as you can well imagine and we'll start off with a very obvious one that would bring everyone bonding together which is a Disney type of thing called Spooky Buddies where a bunch of dogs buddy up to defeat Warwick the Warlock so someone with a name like Warwick the Warlock <laughs> already the, the thing has got me hooked up so that's a goodie then you could get a bit more historical 
whether you went 1939 version Basil Rathbone or you went 1959 with Peter Cushing for Hound of the Baskervilles. A classic. Which you can't, you know, for me, and dog movies per se, not even, you know, dog horror films or dog Halloween films, I suppose you could call. Uh, this one really always stands out. You know, Arthur Conan Doyle brings the dogs out and they're obviously all over it from the beginning and the get-go when evil Sir Hugo unleashes a pack to go and retrieve a wayward woman. Now, you don't get much more evil than that. Sadly, the dogs, despite themselves, were instrumental in such awfulness. And only just the other day I was talking to somebody I said, I think if you showed the opening scenes of the uh, Peter Cushing Hound of the Baskervilles in a, in a modern environment to a woke audience, there would be a, a number of people screaming and collapsing and having seizures. <laughs> I was, it, it was shockingly, um, shockingly of another era. But it does have the dogs, and of course the dogs in the title. Because does the Hound of the Baskervilles actually exist? Well, this is the very interesting twist, isn't it, with the uh, fabulous storytelling abilities of Mr Conan Doyle. Because, of course, it was a punishment. It wasn't the dog, you know, that was, you know, taking him upon himself. It was the dog as the fear element. And uh, we certainly, as I said at the beginning, had all the beagles racing across the moors. Um, and that was a more classic dog thing. But uh, as you rightly say, out of the Baskervilles, maybe. Was a, uh, you know, this legend that haunted um, the whole area that people were terrified about. And it was big, it was supposed to be black, and it had people running in fear. Um, and this myth, though, segues to black dogs, you know. Black dogs are still considered, you know, well, less popular than white dogs, actually. It's a very non-politically correct conversation to be having. But black dogs represent death and evil and mystery and darkness and in the olden days. And today, black dogs just don't photograph well enough for Instagram. So they remain in rescue a lot longer than other coloured dogs, you know. That's well, sad, the other true. thing is that uh, when you mention dogs that are black, there's having said they don't photograph well and they don't this and that, going back away, of course, um, I think I'm right in saying the dog in Omen was very black, with yeah. fabulous ears. Yeah, yeah, Rottweilers. Damien. Yeah, and they were. They were scary as anything. And they, they were Rottweilers. Mm. And uh, yeah. that, that was very much a part of the scary element to get everyone creeping up the back of their cinema seats for Omen, which at, on its release and at the time was very much, very much a sort of uh, the top scary thing you could go see. Yeah. And I did read, as I was coming to see you, that um, another scary element, Omen, was that there, was a, there were a series of nasty incidents involving car crashes, involving injuries, and more horrifically, 
the specific one that came out was there was a number of incidents of two planes getting struck by lightning that were bringing in talent. And the most awful one was that Gregory Peck was set to fly to Rome during the period of filming and couldn't get on the plane, the plane there was an issue, and had to take another plane. And the plane he was booked on crashed, all killed. And so Omen had a very nasty, dark backstory. So there you go. Gosh, I didn't know that. But I do remember as a young kid seeing those dogs and being, you know, as a massive dog lover at that age, I was like, crumbs, these dogs are intimidating. And I remember that um, scene where they've been hunting and they make a big deal of, you know, when you go hunting, you're initiated and you have the fox's tail with all the blood on it wiped over your face. I remember that vividly because I've always been anti fox hunting and that kind of helped underline that to be honest. Do you remember mm. that scene as well? So there's a lot of blood everywhere and big rottweilers. But, you know, that's um, so silly and dogs should not be you know, judged by their colour or their looks, of course, Toby. We are in agreement. Well, the other one that, there's a couple that I just thought I'd throw out there is Kujo, which is by the master of suspense and horror. Uh, couldn't get better, Stephen King, could it? And that Maya is um, a St Bernard bitten by a rabid bat. So that's a very good way to kick off something that's going to be pretty ghastly. And interestingly, <laughs> I think Stephen King uses St Bernard as the victim of the rabid bat when you can't think of a more cuddly dog and, of course, the dog that is the go-to rescue hound. So for him to be turned is the ultimate twist. Yeah, it really is, actually. To be fair, I've never read it. Um, is it also a film, Toby? Yes, it is. It got made into a film. The book is behind you, Anna. I know, so I saw that. you can keep up. I can keep up and, and read, you'll be all right. read the preface. Um, and then the other one I was going to highlight before we go on to the big conversation piece of, of our chat, but I, I was just skipping through various things and one of them really did leap out and it had one of those, uh, it definitely turned into some sort of contender for the worst film despite itself called Dracula's Dog. And the premise for this 1977 piece was that uh, there was some building work, some excavation works in Romania. Um, a, a, a tomb, a coffin was um, disturbed, open, and inside is found a dog with a stake through its heart. Now, what they did, bizarrely in the film, which went on to be more bizarre apparently, was they removed the stake, which of course unleashed the vampire in the dog. The dog then goes on to recruit a pack of vampire dogs and it went <laughs> off down this rather excessive route. And I thought that just the title would make it worth a little YouTube clip moment for Definitely. people at home. Thank you. No, Toby, I'm gonna have a look um, myself because I've not seen that. And the other thing, just on passant, in case I forget to mention it, which I thought was interesting and you would know so well, but I also quite like the fact that um, 
that dogs can get dressed up at Halloween. And, you know, there's the things like the, the gingerbread man and various things. And, of course, with all the orange and the bits and pieces and the blood and the this and that and the crosses. But they also have available for dogs a Halloween version of a Ghostbusters outfit, which I thought would be particularly good if you're going to trick or treat. Yes. Well, they've got to be dressed in for the occasion. And there's so much fancy dress, you know. And I, I must admit, Mr Binks, who's here, he's delighted to see you, Toby, because he hasn't seen you since the Fido Awards. He has a sequin pumpkin outfit that kind of mixes a bit of Saturday Night Fever with the autumnal tradition. In fact, we should have brought it here for him to have worn for the photo shoot, Toby. I think you could, it was a very remiss of you. Very I'm remiss, sure we can actually. Find something. I see your orange things hanging around. Yes, no, look, there's something orange. There'll we'll find it. Orange. But um, yes, I think, you know, dressing up dogs, so long as they don't mind, is, is great and they can join in the fun. Mm, they do look the part. I mean, and when they're uh, bouncing around, it just adds a full yeah. session of well, loveliness. There's, there's Halloween dog show competitions. You know, in New York, there's a very famous Halloween parade for dogs and their owners. So the one that uh, you were, we were talking about before you, we discussed... Well, we did. ...has a very spooky note about it, because we've talked to Dracula... Yes. But I believe there was another well, there was mythical horror myth creation. Yes, on Frankenstein. And Tim Burton, Toby, um, put a little short film together in 1984 that was picked up by Disney and turned into a massive blockbuster, an hour and a half's feature from a 30-minute short. And I hadn't seen it until the other day. And I just thought, this is genius. It's the best kind of interpretation of Frankenstein I've ever seen. Probably a bit biased, because it does feature a bull terrier called Sparky. Tell us more, Toby. Well, one of the things about Frank and Weenie is that there are a number of issues, which I will bring to the fore. One of the things, first and foremost, it is a horror film genre with very much... Frankenstein transmits his, his, his storyboard and puts it into the life of a dog. And so we now get the uh, plugs on the, on the side of the neck, not literally in the case of Sparky the dog, but all the uh, crocodile clips and electricity to make things go are turned from the human figure and form of Frankenstein to a lovely dog named, of course, Sparky. Very appropriate for a dog that's about to get a giant shot of electricity <laughs> up it. Totally was. Very appropriate. But the, the thing about Sparky was that what the, it, this film obviously is a reworking of the Frankenstein story, but one of the things about it, despite it being in the horror genre very much, is its exquisite art direction and it's so unbelievably beautiful to see with all the little characters and the home setting and it was it's just such a beautiful film and the color palette was very good with the and my memory of that was very much the blacks and quite a lot of lavender going on yeah yeah and that was rather amazing and of course 
in the dramatic scenes of lightning stroke, electricity stroke, voltage stroke, flashes of electricity. All of that was such a graphic masterpiece. It was, it's really quite something. I, I just think it's the most wonderful thing. But what I was going to say, the two additionals to that is telling you what Frank and Weenie offers to you. But when I'd seen it, we obviously loved it to pieces. The team that do the Fidos, four incredible dogs on screen. In this case, Sparky, sewn together very incredibly. It was just that this film got a nomination in the Fidos of 2012. So it came into the radar, got on the list, and there it is as a mutt moment. So good for that. And we thought, obviously, it was completely wonderful, as is, of course, pretty much everything Tim Burton does. And at that time, for the promotion of the film, uh, Tim did a series of, of lectures um, and public uh, talks and so forth, one of which I attended at BAFTA and asked a question, and that was about the significance of the desire of the little girl to bring her dog back into her life. Because it was it's poignant. I mean, there it, is that moment when Sparky... You know, he is run over and and the child you know you feel that because he doesn't pull any punches Tim Burton does he you know and it's the the animation the face is that complete pain moment no and I mean at this point I am already in floods you know <laughs> so you know what's going to happen but it, it, it was very emotional it was very well done well Tim Burton absolutely went down the road of not just let's just put some crocodile clips and a bit of electricity and whoosh their back and that's great he started it off from the aspect of the f sense of loss and that was what he answered to my question was that he said that he was very well aware that the loss of your pet dog is very much in most many lives, many, many lives, the first big, awful trauma and grieving process. And that was the impression, you know, this is something that you obviously felt when you saw it, and certainly everyone that watches it should feel, mm. and was very singular um, as, his, uh, his, as his jumping off point was to make that absolutely clear that there's that terrible sense of loss and it's searing and awful and you'll do anything to try and, you know, get things back the way they were. And this is what um, he tries to uh, do, being fascinated by science <coughs> and a science teacher being into highlighting how electricity got a frog's legs going in a, in a school experiment. Um, the next thing is, any, all the electrical appliances are taken upstairs to the loft and this kid does the massive experiment um, mm. with a big thunderstorm and, um, and Sparky re-emerges. Because what I also thought might be worth mentioning at this point is that the use of the giant electricity power station in the sky 
<laughs> to activate things was <coughs> used hugely famously in Back to the Future. And in that scene, of course, there was the dog in the car. And that had to be re-shot several times because the initial cut had the audiences worried that the dog had been sadly, not as in the case of Frank and Weenie, resurrected, <laughs> but had been turned to so much crispy fur. <laughs> I don't remember that in Back to the Future, really. But Frank and Weenie, I think, you know, I, I totally loved it because there was so much going on, wasn't there, in, in the movie. Parents and children, children and parents. Um, and then, you know, the realisation perhaps as a child you've done something wrong. But of course, the way the story pans out, uh, Sparky or Frank and Weenie becomes a hero. And at the very end, he has a terrible situation and death becomes him again, unfortunately. But of course all the grown-ups now want him to come back to life. So they get all their spark plugs out, don't they, with their cars and attach them to the dog and everyone's revving the engine and the baddie in the film who was cheering everyone on like, put some welly on it, you know, give it more throttle. And they think they failed, but then Sparky wags his tail once again. And it was just amazing. Um, perhaps giving kids and everybody, grown-ups as well, hope, you know, that maybe Halloween is that time when, you know, people come back from the dead just for a little while to say hello. Yes, I think that Halloween offers the, uh, a possibility of impossibilities, and that's a good thing. And on that night, you can imagine that old Auntie Maud will suddenly come round the corner with some fabulous Halloween treats. Yes. Though parted from this mortal world. Yes. With a dog, probably. Well, there's always got to be a dog somewhere, Toby. But, you know, even Snoopy got involved with Halloween, didn't he? I mean, he championed the pumpkin in the episode where he became the Flying Baron again, in character, of course. Um, I think he raided a pumpkin patch and brought this huge giant pumpkin back to Lioness and, and the team in true Halloween spirit, being American, you know. But uh, yes, there's, there's, there's lots and lots of references, I guess. But I think for me, Frank and Weenie nails it as the best dog film to watch on the sofa this year. I don't know what you think, Toby. I would say you could not surpass the, the wonderful visual thrill, the huge emotion and the horror element and the re-booting re, uh, of the Frankenstein uh, story, so familiar to so many people everywhere. I mean, it's got it all. And uh, as a dog owner, watch Frank and Weenie with the dog. I know, I know, I will. No, definitely, you know, that's the thing. But it also is very, it was before Edward Scissorhands, the, the original short. So it's interesting to see how the animation has a bit of an Edward Scissorhands kind of feeling to it. Mm -hmm. Do you think? Or yeah, is yeah. That... no, I think he's definitely, that's the Burton style. Burton style, yeah. But he is a dog lover, Tim Burton, of course. Tim likes dogs. 
you know. And he liked Helena Bonham Carter. Yes. And so <laughs> he knows a thing or two. He does. And he answered my question at BAFTA. What more does he, what more can I say? God, that must have been exciting. It was a good one. Woo! So, Toby, was that an impression of a werewolf you were making then? Well, it was my attempt, which I don't think John Landis would have uh, used in the final cut of an American werewolf in London. But as we all know, um, the canine species has its own horror incarnation in the mythology and the lexicon of wonderful scary beasts that you never want to come up against on halloween and that is of course talking of that well sound of our own werewolf we in have the house. we have got two oh they're so scary toby <laughs> and the thing of it all is that it is it must be the most it's without question the werewolf is the most canine of characters that you don't want to find yourself running up against. No. And of course we all know the, in cinema, I would say it is one of the most well-traveled paths by so many directors. We just mentioned John Landis and there are so many others, the Hammer School of uh, Horror Filmmakers, where they do the transformation where the person who has been, is, is about to go down the werewolf route, starts looking a little bit her suit, and then the <laughs> teeth start growing. Yeah. And it's always a, a moment in a film which you, you, it's very, it's very uh, intriguing, and it draws you in so much. When you see somebody that's been dashing around possibly in a horse and carriage like My Fair Lady, mm. and all of a sudden, indeed, all of a sudden, they, they they, hands. Their hand, the hand, the bristles, then, of course, there's the teeth. Yes. And then they start barking. They do. To the, the moon. I know. So, Billy, you're becoming a werewolf. Oh, Mr. Binks is here, of course, as well. But I know, but... American Werewolf in London, it has to be my, one of my favourite films ever. I mean, how funny, how brilliant. And I loved all the Hammer House films that's showing our age, I suppose. But it was that look they all had and the excitement that you knew you'd be taken on a brilliant journey. Any other werewolf um, references then, Toby? Have you got any more up your sleeve? Well, I have to make that uh, I... I think the werewolf's been in so many films that you have to think that it's rebooted on more than, I would say there'd be a hundred or more films. The idea as well, of course, I suppose, of wolves being scary, you know, and wolves are often, you know, in films that aren't particularly you know, necessarily about Halloween, but you've got the howling, you've got the packs running, the panting, and of course a werewolf, I suppose, is, is, is a human wolf, isn't it? It's the morph, yes, yes, it morphing of both, so it's like a freak monster. But the wolves would run with Dracula, wouldn't they? Or, in, in theory. Um, 
Um, so, and that sort of spiraled down to demonise wolves for, for centuries. Yes, indeed. You they know. were always considered rather worrying. Well, they were, Should yes. you be in a, on a cattle drive and you'd be going through some wild forested areas and the night fell and the, well, the wolves started to howl, yeah. Well, then you would not feel happy. No, you wouldn't. And you'd be, you know, in uh, Romania or wherever. Where did Dracula originate? Well, Transylvania, Transylvania. in Romania. Right, OK. So it was Transylvania, of course. Um, yes, that's how they all started, wasn't it? You know, with the wolves. That's Dracula, isn't it? Yeah. And when can we find out more about what's coming up from you on the Fidos and the Palm Dog? Well, the Fidos, we are putting together the nomination lists and that is coming up in the near... F it'll be the either the end of the year or the beginning of next that we will unveil How exciting! And I very much hope that you and Mr Binks will join. And then next year will be interesting because the Cannes Film Festival will likely return to something very much approaching its normal and former glories. And therefore, we anticipate the Palm Dog will be a bigger and even better moment. But as somebody in the, in the Cannes Film Festival operation said, we're on a bit of a roll because in 2019 we had Quentin Tarantino come along to pick up. And this year, 2021, there was the film The Souvenir, which starred Hilda Swinton. She graced us with her presence. And though that means that I don't know where we can go from here. We've been so blessed with major support um, from people that we are gr grateful to that. But it leaves us flying high and we don't know which way we're going to go next. But we want it to be uh, a movement in a good and positive direction for Dogs on Film. I'm sure it will be. Well, woof, woof, Toby. Thank you so much. Woof, woof. Woof, woof. Oh! Our show, Mr. Binks, what did you think? Yes, it was a bit scary in places. What's that? Yes, it is time for Woof of the Week. We know that Halloween and Bonfire Night are great traditions, but the fireworks are very scary for dogs. So, Mr. Binks recommends staying indoors and watching your favourite movie. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. Thanks again also to Sin Marjono, Toby Rose. Links to the Palm Dog and the Fidos will all be in the show notes. Thanks also to Mike Hansen, my producer. Find out more about him at Pod People UK. And for me, I'm just at Anna Web Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, we will be back in your feed next Sunday. So why don't you subscribe now? Then you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. <laughs>
God, people. <laughs>